This is Thomas DePoe. This is Max. This is Kevin Ham. Hey, this is Jake Cook. Hi, this is William Roy. You're listening to The Green Box. In this episode, we're revisiting the 2019 shotgun scenarios one last time to discuss the contest results and mention a few noteworthy entries we didn't get to last time. After that, we'll conclude with some of our thoughts on what makes a good shotgun scenario. Okay, well, um, we said we'd do a follow-up when the results of the contest were announced, and they have been. Do you guys, do you guys know who won? I wasn't aware there was even a contest this year. Uh, that's that could be taken in one of several ways. No, that, that's not. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't. I didn't mean it in like there's no contest because Malenbrot always wins. I meant like I was inviting you to tell me the answer to the question. I don't think it really matters who won. We shouldn't even talk. Uh, about I mean, on a, I mean, I they, agree. They, I I actually agree with that. And ironically, once they stopped publishing the snares in the oath and made it a Call of Cthulhu magazine, I kind of stopped giving a shit about winning the contest. And I just want to submit stuff so that people will give me feedback and the attention that I crave. Wow, tell I us mean, how you really feel. I I mean, I I think that we've been pretty emphatic on this podcast that that was a decision we that basically no one in that room was happy with when it was announced. I understand. I actually don't understand why they do it. I understand they probably have a good reason for it, but. I don't think a single person was happy to hear it. Anyway, uh, anyway, congratulations, Will. Yeah. Thank so, you. for those of you who weren't who were not aware, and we can understand why, because the results haven't actually been pushed to the uh, Fairfield site yet. They're just on the Facebook. Um, well, they're also on the mailing list, which is honestly where you should be if you're entering. Where's, the, where's the mailing list now? Yeah, it got moved to groups.io. There was a whole thing okay. on the mailing list about it. I stopped. I stopped using the mailing list long before they killed it, so I did not know that. Thank you very much. Well, I've learned something today. Uh, I guess you're not the target audience for the new mailing list anyway, then. I guess not. You know, I'm, I mean, I'm just kind of a dabbler in the whole Delta Green thing. I don't really run or play it that much. Um, so, yeah, the <laughs> coming coming back around again to the topic today, um, Whale got first place for his scenario, God Under the Mountain, which we discussed in our shotgun scenarios uh, pre-voting or, or sorry, pre-announcement, but post-voting episode. Yeah. Second place went to In the Shadow of the Valley by a fellow who goes by, what is that, Gunmetal Stug? Or is that Gunmetal yeah. Stu G? It's Stu G because they turned into World War II. Okay. No, it's, okay. but, but, but they would have just, contemporaneously, I'm pretty sure, just would have been referred to as the Stug. Which was what, what I say is if you're going to be a Waraboo, at least pick like the workhorse, the Stug, or the Martyr, or not like you know a Tiger or a Panther. So good on him for that. And, anyway, and that is also a scenario that we discussed because at least one of us voted for it. The third place winner was Dream Merchants by Max here, which we also yeah. discussed. So, Kevin, remember at the end when you said, hey, wouldn't it be really funny if like the winners were the winner of the contest was was on the podcast and all the scenarios are ones we already talked about well yes. i think that happened is it funny though? is it funny now though uh it's, it's it's kind of funny it's kind of funny so since we've already talked about the winning entries um we wanted to i just talk a little bit about some of the entries that we we liked but which didn't make it onto our ballots because we can only vote for so many and I like most I, of us started by voting for ourselves yeah and in some cases voting for ourselves took up most of the ballot. Cough, cough, Max. I mean, three, three-fifths of my ballot was me, so... So I, I, I guess it's not fair of me to say that I don't care about winning and then go and vote for all my own scenarios when there's other scenarios that I could have voted for that I liked. You're not wrong in that winning uh, has a lot less prestige now. Um, it's not even... Well, it's not just prestige. It's that, like, you know, getting someone to do art and layout for me for free. 
and it'd be good to be an official product. Yeah, I, you're you're right. Um, well, in any case, I I appreciate my twenty dollars gift credit at Drive Through RPG. Thank you very much, Ed, and to the what is it twenty ish people, Kevin, that put me somewhere on their ballot. Yeah, it's really interesting. We did a instant runoff voting, so very few people voted for you as their first choice, but you had so much support for like second, third, fourth, um, that that was enough to carry over the line, which is really interesting so it's like you know you had a coalition of people who liked your stuff more people liked your stuff enough and that's why you came in first which is a neat uh much better way to do it than first past the post transferable voting systems are really cool uh we were supposed to have one here in canada but somebody fucked that up you know who you are justin trudeau yeah if you're listening to this podcast one i guess we're flattered but also if only snc lavalin asked him to do it then he would fucking get on it in a second (laughs) so um uh, why don't we talk about a couple of scenarios that we didn't mention that uh, we feel worth mentioning? Uh, who wants to go first? Let's see here. Um, well, I think we we mentioned this before that we wanted to talk about Dark Midnight, Hear My Cry. This is a scenario about a group of investigators for the group from Labyrinth Cold Center for the Missing Child, which, if you'll recall, is a nonprofit that is based on the real-life missing of exploited children finders of some kind. Uh, These people in this scenario are investigating a missing kid who is, uh, I think, like being held captive by a, like, conversion therapy death cult. Uh, Conversion therapy is the idea that you can, um, like, basically, like, clockwork or style... Clock, it's it's clockwork orange style condition. Someone to not be gay or not be trans or whatever, and it's actually increasingly being banned in a lot of places because it's considered abusive for a lot of reasons. Um, but in this scenario, yeah, in this scenario, it's a mythos related incident. Um, I think that the thing that I heard over and over again about re- when I was reading other people's reviews of this, and I agree with, is that it starts off pretty cool, but towards the end, it feels like the guy who wrote it was slicing off so many words to be, keep it under word count that it became difficult to understand what was happening. Which I 100% sympathize with. I, I also have that problem. Yeah, I think that we've all experienced that to some degree with at least something that we've written at some point for this contest. Should we mention who wrote this? This was Will Zuma, who's I believe somebody we've had on this show in the past. Yeah, Will, Will, Will Shar, friend of the show, uh, in fact, our very first guest way back in episode one. Uh, also on All Roads Tavern, I think is the podcast he's on. Yeah, that's correct. So yeah, he wrote this one. I think that the other thing that I felt about it when I was reading it is that the choice of the monster at the end, um, it didn't quite fit with what was going on there because i know that jake you wanted to do a scenario about a conversion therapy camp but have it be that the lawyer was feeding on the misery of the children right yeah i've got that about 70 mm, percent written uh we can cut this out if you'd rather would, would not me talk about it no it's fine it's an incentive for me to finish it at some point in time cool cool um i think that the one way that i do see the, the fit there is it's like a uh an extremely biting and incisive commentary on priests being blood-sucking parasites. Yeah, that's which super wow. clever. That's good. Yeah, you know, have heard yeah. that one before. But no, I, I think that I think that this one um, is. I was. I'm, I'm. I'm thinking about the one that he did last year. The um, the one with with uh, the, silence the sound hearts. creatures, and how that one I felt also packed a whole lot of stuff into not a whole lot of um, space. But I think that one felt more complete. 
Yeah. And I know that he was able to get three separate Gen Con games out of it, so I'm wondering how this one goes if if uh, he does that. I think this is a great um, usage of the, the Max slash Scott Glancy axiom of pick a human atrocity that the mythos is then drawn into. That's 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 real good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I literally it's, just just yesterday ran my uh, Pisces Northern Ireland paramilitary drug trading scenario. Yeah, I uh, like the reason it's taken me so long to write the one that I'm working on that involves the conversion camp is because it feels like it's uh, kind of precarious ground to be uh, treading on, and I just want to be really careful with it and just make sure I give things like the amount of respect that they deserve there. Yeah, and definitely. Just, and just throw some artifacts in it. Jesus, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Those gay kids have artifacts, so uh, get in there, agents. Well, you, you have to explain that joke for the listeners. For those of you who don't know, Kevin not, is mocking no. a specific... <laughs> no, so I mean, I'll say, I mean, people like to post, it happens often, people like to post like shocking from the news stories, um, or just in general from the news stories, about Delta, and then say how it relates to Delta Green. I mean, we spun this off into a wildly successful bit called Brett Trent and the cover-up. But sometimes people will post something like, 25 people found dead in a convenience store. And then they'll, they'll literally just sprinkle in, like, they had maybe there were artifacts in there. What were they hiding? And it's like the laziest, like, just take some fucking time and make something interesting. Don't just sprinkle their artifacts on the still warm corpses of the dead and be like, so, oh, yeah. What's, what's the shortest anyway. distance from A to Delta Green? Yeah. And anyway, this this scenario, Dark Minute, hear, hear my cry. This scenario is not that. I think it's handled very tastefully. Oh, yeah. for sure. Uh, I think it would. I think this is one of those shotgun scenarios that would benefit being fleshed out into a like a full scenario that's not inhibited by a word count because I think it does need. See, also every shotgun entry I've ever made. I agree with Max that it it it. it uh, I recognize the the signs of having to cut for length because I've I've done that. I know what that looks like. So I really I, I do think this would benefit being uh, having an expanded write up. But yeah, it's a good scenario. Were there any other ones that you guys uh, liked but didn't have on your ballot? I had kind of a soft spot for pattern repeat. That's the one about the um, the computer program that's like actually a quilt. Well, I don't want to go too much into it because you can just read the scenario. But this this one, I, I like this one because it's a computer science problem and it's also a quilting problem. And that's 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 cool. It should have had more detail about the alternate parallel selves. Uh, yeah, that, that would have been cool. I'm not sure what he would have had to cut to fit that in, but, uh, you can trim some, trim some of the stuff in the setup because the setup has a lot of detail that I think is extraneous. Really? I don't think it was extraneous. Like it has a, a very detailed explanation of what's going on, but I actually think that that's, that's useful. Another thing I, I like about pen and repeat is this follows the formula, uh, that we've often discussed about the threat is not the spider god spinning threads of reality into the multiverse. The threat is the human who gets it into his head that playing with this is a good idea. Yeah, I, I really enjoy that. Humans are the real enemy in any any scenario context. And being somebody with a background in in programming, I I really enjoy the magic is just hacking the universe angle of hypergeometry. So that that also appeals to me. I know that um, Jake, when he read this one, shared an interesting article about how the computers for all of the old NASA missions were hand-stitched because they had to have wires stuffed into very precise uh, locations on essentially a big board full of holes. So they got a bunch of seamstresses to, to do it because they didn't, uh, they had done, they, they basically, the deadlines they were working with didn't allow them to like build an actual computer designing machine so they had to rely on skilled human labor instead and that's true for a lot of early nasa stuff yeah i mean i don't i don't want to belittle 
the astronauts who got us to the moon, but I mean, a bunch of women who no one ever heard about got us to the moon. Yeah, the coding that was written by all the women. Like, there was that movie about them, wasn't it? Yeah, they did a good job with that movie. But no, but still, nobody knows their name. Yeah, I haven't seen the movie, nor do I know their names. So I guess that's pretty evident there. I like pattern repeat just because I think code as stitches is a neat twist, and I think that uncovering that as a player would be a fun kind of like aha moment. And I think getting yeah. to have those is really interesting. The rest of it, yeah. Is oh, tip to fun. handlers who run this: check your players, check your agents' motivations, see if any of them have like knitting is as one of their motivations or hobbies, and then give them like let them auto pass to figure out what's going on because like oh it's a quilt be fucking an amazing moment also if anybody has knitting as a agent motivation i'd like to hear your story please get in touch with us yeah let us know so uh if i remember correctly one of the scenarios that uh that uh, we discussed beforehand but didn't make into the episode was snow globe yeah that one is about a pisces bioweapon in the midwest i think it is the Midwest of America. Indeed. Hmm. Well, hold up. What gives them are, the right? We, we have our own bioweapons that are good enough for Americans. Yeah, we'll, we'll test we don't need no forward bioweapons. Yeah, didn't you guys like fight a war to stop Britain from testing bioweapons on you? That's, that's, no. what, that's what the revolution was about, right? Yeah, they they definitely had, like, you know, tried to drop drop uh, anthrax on our sheep. Do you guys yeah, want to hear an interesting story? An interesting story that's not something I just made up about bioweapons? Uh, in the US. Um, during World War One, there was a German guy in the United States named Anton Dilger, and his bioweapons plan was that he would give America's horses diseases so that we couldn't send them to the Western Front to help the Allies. Oh, yeah, and all the, the horse cavalry that we had in World War II. I'm so, yeah, talking about planning Poland? for the last war. Um, so you guys are pretty much reacting exactly the way that I would expect, and that way is wrong, because... During WW1, pretty much all transportation, except for stuff that was pretty close to rail lines, was horse-drawn. There was limited use of wheeled vehicles, but for the most part, work was done by horses, and the horses were used up in a rate of thousands per day. Wait, you said World War One? I? I thought yes. you were talking about. I thought that you said World War Two. Nope. Okay. Yeah. Well, that, that, that checks out. Yeah. I thought you also, said also consider that most of the German army and the Russian army during World War Two were also horse-drawn. Don't try to make me consider historical context, Melon Bread. One Listen, of the great things about being from the future is I can laugh at the primitive grugs for their primitive grubbing. Well, the, these primitive grugs had just figured out how to domesticate the merry chip, and then some asshole comes over with, you know, a wheeled and tracked vehicle and stomps all over them. And Anton Gilder saw that, and he was like, you know, they, America is sending all these horses to the Western Front to help the Allies crush the Central Powers. That ain't right. I got to give him glanders. Glanders is a disease that kills horses. And his plan was so ineffective that no one ever caught him. Because there was no Glanders outbreak among America's horses. He didn't even know what he was doing. Hence the title of the classic poem in Glanders Fields. There you go. There was that uh, pretty decent World War One movie called War Horse that um, I think I went and saw with my family and it made my mom cry. So you can take that for what it's worth. It's one of those like feel-good movies. It's like um, like if Seabiscuit was uh, you know repeatedly shot and caught in barbed wire and covered in mud. Because that's nice. World War One. It sounds like um, there was a Disney film that my little sister really liked when I was a kid. We watched all the time called Spirit, and it was about a horse that um, lives. Oh, it's a wild horse, and it's a talking wild horse because it's a it's Disney a movie. Spirit Stallion of the Simmer, the the Sumerian, right? Sumerian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, that one was in a that horse had adventures in 
like the the old west and it got captured by like uh i think the guy was lakota and then he got captured again by the the u.s cavalry and then he escaped so anyway snow globe anyway two things jump out at me as being really interesting about this scenario uh number one is i think everyone was a little tweak their head that it's a Pisces bioweapon. Like that doesn't really seem to connect with what we know about them from the fiction. But I also think like, like we've been saying, if all you know about March technologies is just that you're not allowed to touch them or play with them, then it might be tempting to shift that sort of mad science onto a different faction and then just kind of run with it and make up your own stuff for that. But if I remember correctly, this isn't the first Black Mold adventure we've seen. Right. That's the, That was the second thing, is that last year there was a, another scenario about, like, a tiny village on an island in Alaska getting afflicted by some kind of mold bioweapon. And that one also yeah. went back to March Technologies. But I think this one, Snow Globe, would make sense, I think, as a follow-up to that adventure where you're kind of following the trail and now you find other horrible stuff the mold is doing. I remember that one. It was like the mold was uh, like short circuiting or eating electricity or something like that. It was, the operation was like blackout. Right. That one was slightly less. Well, that one was slightly more strategic, I guess, in its application. And that the idea was it was going to eat any kind of metallic object it could find. So the place was losing power because all the power lines were being consumed by it. Never got a run to running it, but it, it read like a really fun kind of slowly building scenario i kind of like that the mold is supposed to be a weapon to be used against the migo because it plays off of the old tropes of uh, the shan infecting pisces so of course they would have come up with like weapons to fight the shan's natural enemies there's also a oh. weapon in isn't isn't the scenario extremophilia about some people who do research on old migo technology and corpses yeah extremophilia is about people who have who have managed to preserve like Migo spore cultures or whatever for 20 years, something happens and they break loose. Although I like what you're saying, Jake, I hadn't considered that, but that's right. Like Pisces is technically an anti-mythos group in the sense that the Shan are out exterminating anybody who's not a dyed in the wool Azathoth worshiper. So they'll, they'll totally attack other mythos monsters who fit that bill. Pisces isn't a, uh, an anti-mythos group. It's a Shan supremacy group. Boom. Galaxy brain. Uh, there was one other scenario that I think a bunch of us had uh, commented on. Um, if, if Unless you guys have something else to say about Snow Globe. Uh, that was the the really meme titled 30 to 50 feral deer in 3 to 5 minutes. I think that that scenario is... It's a survival horror scenario, but it's more survival horror in the vein of Resident Evil 4 or Dead Space where you are going to be rolling firearms pretty much from start to finish, minus yeah. the kind of um, flaccid and honestly pretty easily removable intro where you wander around in the woods for a while. I, I thought, thought it was interesting because you're supposed you, the scenario expects that you're going to babysit a bunch of people searching in the woods. And then yeah, the like uses a lot of words to give you NPC names and stuff like that. Yeah, that struck me as kind of a waste. Like... Yeah, I had a fix for that in my comments. Um, oh, how would you fix it? I mean, I, I would. I, th I think the way it's written, the idea is that the search party will blunder into the problem. The agents have to keep them safe. I would. I would have the agents go in separate and use the search party as essentially a clock or a timer. 
Yeah, that's so, so, oh yeah, so they're they're doing like a big long police call across the forest, yeah. like in a straight line. So it's like like solve this problem before these hundred civilians blunder into it, and then you have a real problem on your hands. That's yeah. good. good and then, especially if like yeah. the police find you, that's another fun angle where they're like, "What are you doing? Like the lines over there? Like you're not wearing your retro vest, or you know, like you yeah, know, other like there suspects." Yeah, exactly. So one one thing that I thought of because the whole this this scenario is based on. It's based on a film that I forget. Uh, I forget what the film is called, but uh, the the point of the film, the author of the scenario said, was to um, have someone be punished for something that someone else did. And it's based on the legend of I think it's Iphigenia. Iphig- it's it's Agamemnon's daughter who he kills to uh, make it's either Ares or Apollo fuck off in the legend cycle surrounding the Iliad and the Odyssey, and this scenario is about you know the the creatures being angry because of all this stuff and i think what could have happened here if you really want to go hard on it is it could be one of the family members of the player character that gets sucked off into the woods by the creatures it's based on like a greek myth because just based on the title it's based on an internet meme hey i mean this is something that the dude literally typed out and posted explaining exactly the the theming of it so i would rather take his word for it uh the funny thing about the the meme that it's based off of which is like some guy on twitter who's trying to uh like exert his right to own an ar-15 by saying that children playing his own children playing in his yard could be swarmed by 30 to 50 feral hogs within three to five minutes and everyone on twitter just like took that and ran with it and like that was like the meme of the day for a little while there but then it actually happened to someone there yeah, was that's, that's the best part there were like 30 30 hogs that were like tearing up someone's like house like just tearing the siding off the side of someone's house just like going ham going ham going ham nice yeah, nice did uh, did the person know. have a armalite rifle uh no they didn't well there you go there See? you go you well, i guess we know they were an honest man <laughs> so the I, other I really thing, like the uh, I really like the 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 monster deer, the Shubnegaroth deer. I think it's a really cool monster. It's scary imagery for sure. Scary think, imagery, and it's a fun set of tools that the handler can use to play with. And I, I I am a fan of giving handlers toolkits to play with. There's a lot of stuff that it can do that isn't just roll to attack. Uh, and yeah. Okay, I think that that the creatures in this scenario of the boss fight suffers from a tiny bit of ability bloat. Just a little bit though, not too much. A bu- a bunch of the abilities, like Will was saying, are ones that um that happen indirectly when you're not facing the creature, like how it exerts its control over the forest. So that that could be used to like frame some interesting uh, encounters with that, I think. Those are almost like lair actions in Dungeons yeah. and Dragons, which you could almost call out in a separate like you take them out of the combat stat block and just have them be other things that happen. It might, it might be more readable that way. I like that you can take its antlers off and use them as a weapon. That's, that's cool. Um, um, have any of y'all ever like actually held a deer's antlers before? Oh, yeah. They're uh, they're interesting. It's it's like you'd expect them to be like bone, but they're more like velvet. Yeah, they have a thin layer of like almost not quite skin, but of tissue over top that just keeps them like just keep relation through them because they're not they're not like dead bone. They're, they're living tissue. Right. You want to hear an interesting story about animal horns that metal skin. Will will appreciate? Uh, maybe you already know this legend, Will, but apparently, if a moose for some somehow gets uh, 
a male moose somehow gets castrated before it grows its horns. The horns grow into these really fucked up, tangled, um, like discolored. They, they look like coral almost. Is what I've is what I've been told. Yeesh. Uh, the other thing that I wasn't so sure about, but it does make for kind of an interesting encounter too, is that there's just a lot of like there's there's 41 living deer and then there's like 15 zombie deer. Uh, so there's like like uh, Max was suggesting, there's going to be a lot of firearms rolling throughout this scenario. Yeah, but it's it's framed as a combat scenario, which I think is fine as long as it's upfront about it. There's nothing wrong with that. Just like you wouldn't yeah. want to bring a you know a, a book researcher to the scenario. I'm not sure that it is framed as a combat scenario because it's but the thing about it is that it's a search party, right? Like uh, I don't know about you, but like uh, when I'm out working on the search grid, I'm not walking around with an AR-15. Yeah, but you, I mean, you, you're a firearms character. Uh, Jake, I thought your whole backstory was like you need to structure your life so that you're never caught unarmed. It's it's true. Don't check down my pants, Jake. I think that <laughs> I mean, we just verified. Wow. We just verified that these woods are full of horrible, horrible creatures, both in real life and in the imaginary world of Delta Green. I think it's entirely justified I mean, yeah, for someone like to be carrying a, like a long a gun. Sidearm. A sidearm. No. Sidearm's not going to stop a moose. It's just... not going to stop a hog. Is it like known that there's hogs and moose meese in these yes. woods? Dude, I saw a moose uh, biking home. I mean, from in this work. scenario, I I mean, I it wasn't known that it wasn't known that. I mean, it was actually known that the the little parklet had a moose that swam across the river into it. I feel like if the directive from the, the case officer is go into these woods and find the thing, that I think that telegraphs enough to me as an agent that I should be bringing some some yeah moderate I'm, firepower. I'm just saying it's not. You guys framed it like it was like going to be a known bug hunt or a known like combat thing, and it just sounds like a search thing at first. That's when has, I don't when recall has what does do anything ever not had firearms? If it was just a missing person, then it wouldn't come to the attention of Delta Green. Yeah, fair enough. One thing I will say is I don't I don't like the deep backstory of in 1994 Delta Green just destroyed a town and erased all record of its existence. That doesn't I can't I can't. Well, why, why not? They did it to Insmith. Um, no, they didn't. Actually. We've done it in reality. We didn't really erase existence, erase the ex- records of it. But I mean, we've wiped out towns before, pretty commonly. Oh, we wiped out towns, towns and stuff. certainly, but uh, not not erasing all records of the town. Is Insmith wiped? That's a little is, hard to believe. Is Insmith wiped out in Delta Green? What what happens if I, if a Delta Green character just goes to the place is. where it used to be? I think like there's a, still an Insmith, like just people relocated. Yeah, it's it's a it's a ghost town. It's like falling apart. Okay. That's what I think, at least. I thought I read that maybe in one of the microfiction things or something. I think it would be fun. I was just going to agree with Jake. I think it's mentioned somewhere in a scenario text, but I can't remember where. It it might be um, on one of the Patreon bits from Shane Ivey. I think that's it, now that I think about it. Uh, It's for like when you're researching uh, Yuma Yuka 2 for X Oblivion, maybe. There should be uh, like a cult that's just a group of kids that goes there because they want to cruise for deep one sex, but it doesn't work because all the deep ones are gone. I was trying to there's... make like a Euro trip joke, but I just kept coming. Oh, there's nothing. What are you saying, Tom? Scotty doesn't know. He's a child of the sea. Oh, there you go. Yeah. It's, I'm glad that you caught that one, but not that they're cruising. Although actually cruising, I think, was originally also like a veiled nautical term because the stereotype was that it was... Um, trying to find sailors or sailors trying to have, find people to have gay sex with. I'm not familiar with that term. It's, uh, it's not gay if you're underway. 
Yeah. It is not gay if it's a deep one, but I won't let that let that stop me. Anyway, this is one that has a I I I think that it runs the risk of if there's this much like gunfights and boss fights and stuff, a single one of these encounters is potentially going to take most of the time you have in the session and could easily wipe out most of the group. So you'd need a way to either pace it or have the players understand that they need to minimize um, the amount of fighting they do or something. I think in general, I, I think I should encourage players to minimize the amount of fighting I do. So that seems like a larger... Well, and then, but, it, but if you but if you really felt that way, you would not run this scenario because this that's scenario. true. Yeah. Here's another thing that I don't know that God brought up about it. Like, if there is you know a hundred people that are like in a search party or whatever, and then you start hearing gunshots, like not just like oh you know it's hunting season, but like a lot of gunshots, like war zone amount of gunshots while you're doing the search party. Yeah, it's gonna speed up that clock. Uh, no, they're gonna like get the hell out of there all the civilian people that are there are gonna just leave so that kind of you know maybe the share for the the rest of the people that are there are gonna like try and figure out what the hell's going on up there but the civilians probably wouldn't stick around i don't know you get a bunch of good old boys you frame it as oh shit maybe you know the bad guys are getting rid of the kid or that must be where it happened let's go get them you know get playing the most dangerous game with a bunch of children yeah. so i could see that everybody can or or you know if there's a hundred people in the search party i could see you know a quarter of them you know bouncing into the firefight and causing problems were there any shotgun scenarios besides my own that you guys thought because i know we mentioned it earlier but that it, they'd be better as like full length Oh, I didn't. I didn't. I never actually thought your snares would be better as full length. I think they were fine as shotgun snares. I just think that they needed um, to use the word count more wisely. Because that's I, that's just a problem I have. Is that I don't think I'm good at writing shotgun scenarios. I don't think that. No, it. I think that it would be. It would have been very um, easy to find stuff that could be removed to give you space to write. Uh, like I remember in the um, in the what about the divers there was a lot of editorializing like you had a sentence where it went this is real science people and it's like you know you don't have to tell me <laughs> real. i can just believe yeah. you you can use you can take those words and use them somhere else to, to do something that contributes more one value. weird trick handlers I hate it I could choose to believe you, and I don't really see any incentive to choose not to believe you. So yeah, if I don't trust Jake to tell me about the facts of the scenario, then um, I probably can't run it at all. So, but yeah, I, th- I see where you're going with this. That this one maybe is would be better suited to a proper scenario. Uh, there were a couple of scenarios that you could probably expand a little bit, like. Uh... You know, they rather than taking away from them, they need things added on. I know I think that about my stuff. I think that Dark Midnight could use like more text. It's just it's really hard to write and convey your thoughts in such a way that other people would be able to pick up the content and run it like just with what you have written down, because a lot of it does like live in my head. And I think that's probably a problem that lots of people have when it comes to writing shotguns. And I know I'd appreciate some tips. Good, good segue. I think this is our second year where we've been reviewing all the entries, not all the entries, but our favorites for the annual shotgun stereo contest. And I was thinking it might be interesting if we did a little bit of a look at how you construct a good shotgun scenario. What do you guys think? 
I mean, I wish I wish I had a really condensed way to explain it, but uh, I think I, I know I've talked to before about what I look for in a shotgun scenario. So I'll start there to rehash that real quick because that does uh, you know, that plays into it. Like to me, a good shotgun scenario needs to be something that someone can pick up and run. You know, with only having to kind of skim through it once. So it's got to have you know good good headers you know good formatting concise bullet point lists of, of clues or things that can happen so you can kind of refer back to them if it's just a thousand or 1500 words of dense text in giant paragraphs it's not good so obviously if you start with like an outline to, of your scenario you don't need to go from outline to a full paragraph of text you go to, from outline to a more readable outline that's basically all you need for a lot of shotgun scenario bits uh i think for the purposes of our discussions here we'll use the fairfield projects you know, 1500 word usual limit as the definition of shotgun scenario although you certainly could write something with this theme that's longer and run it yourself you're an adult you can make these kind of decisions why don't you guys share the scenarios that you wrote that won the prizes so that people know what we're talking about yeah, I wrote one called Stop Repo, which you can find on the Fairfield Project and in the last Unspeakable Oath, 37, I think. I don't know. Put a link somewhere. Um, and that's a very, very, very briefly, it's a, it's a scenario where you have to track down some uh, escaped artifacts in an area. And the way it's structured is a little bit of background, a bunch of bullets for the types of artifacts you might encounter, a bunch of bullets for the types of places they might be hiding, some stat blocks for some bad guys, a little bit of flavor in between. And that's pretty much it. It's pretty. It's a pretty lean scenario. The one that I wrote that um, one second, well, shared second place was the button, uh, which is, I mean, it's a fairly compact. There's one idea that the scenario is built around and everything else just focus, laser focus on that. I think you, you hit something there with one idea. If you can't, if it takes you three sentences to describe what's happening in your shotgun scenario, it's no longer a shotgun scenario. Yeah, like let me let me try for the button right now to describe it in three sentences or less. Uh, there's a button that when you press it, it drives you insane because it makes you question deterministic nature of the universe. That's pretty, that's a sentence or two. That's a sentence. There you go. That's a sentence. Yeah, it's, it's two sentences. If you want to be really really nitpicky about it, but yeah, there. That's a shotgun scenario. Yeah. So the advice that I often give to people, which you've uh, summarize there, Kevin, is that uh, when you're writing a shotgun scenario, you pick one idea, you, you, you drill down onto it, you eliminate everything else, because you've only got 1,500 words to work with. A traditional RPG module adventure scenario, whatever you want to call it, will tend to have a bunch of elements that all kind of interact and you know play off each other. Uh, there are shotgun scenarios that do that. I don't think they do it very well. One of the things... I uh, used in writing Sap Repo, and I've seen it in a lot, a lot of other shotguns, is you can, if you have an NPC and you want to give the handler some advice on how to play them, you can come up with some really clever single line descriptions that kind of tell you all you need to know. Like, for example, there's a character in, there's an NPC in Sap Repo. Uh, he is a ex Navy SEAL, and he will tell you he was on the Bin Laden raid. Which tells you, like, in th those few words tell you a lot about this dude as a character. And I've seen that used really well in other scenarios, too. Kevin, I find it interesting that you, when we were talking about how it, we're doing our plan of attack for the shotgun scenarios that we were voting on this year, you expressed um, dissatisfaction with a scenario where one of the plot elements was a gun-heavy cowboy team bursts in and, and starts rolling firearms. And is that... Having knowing now that that's not an element of the plot that you love in other scenarios, was that something that you'd do differently about Stop Repo if you wrote it again? I don't. I don't know. Um, it, it certainly could be written in such a way where those aren't the antagonists, but right now they exist as really the only outside threat. Um, and really, they're they're 
they're mainly used as like a lever where you can make them more, you know, you can you can lever them towards ally if the players are getting totally stonewalled by crazy artifacts. And you can lever them towards enemy if the if the players are doing too well. So they really just exist as like a, a balance there. Because when you wrote it, you wrote it with pretty passive artifacts and pretty active cowboy antagonists. And I think that if I was running it, I would definitely flip that the other way around where I'd make the artifacts the star of the show and the plain old humans are the backdrop. Yeah. And I mean, Mythos artifact stuff is a weak spot, weak, well, you know, a blind spot in my scenario design in general. So it, that obviously carries through. When that one went into uh, Unspeakable Oath, did they cut out the copyrighted music? I don't think so. Okay. That's funny because was I think that was the one that I suggested. So I'm kind of surprised that it made it all the way into the final product. So where a more traditional RPG adventure or module uh, is going to have like a couple of elements to it, you know, like hooks to get the players interested in it. I think a shotgun scenario works best when it has only one hook and none of the other extraneous stuff. Uh, there are some shotgun scenarios that have multiple hooks, I guess, to them and have a lot going on. I don't mean to disparage the people who wrote those scenarios. They are very fine scenarios, but I don't think they're very good shotgun scenarios. And I include myself in that category because I wrote a shotgun scenario called Terror from the Deep, which I think is not a good shotgun scenario. I think it deserves to be fleshed out into a more a, a more full scenario. So yeah, like I said, the advice I tend to give people when writing shotgun scenarios is pick one element and just that's that's all you got because that's all you need. You don't need a full scenario. You need a whole four to six hour block. Ideally, you should be writing a shotgun scenario that could be finished in an hour or two of play. I think that's a good point because it goes back to something Kevin said earlier that a shotgun scenario, ideally you're not going to read it very often and probably on very short notice before you run it. So the more yeah. elements... Yeah, the more elements you have in play, the more difficult it is to kind of keep all of them in mind and do something satisfying with them. Keep it simple, stupid. I disagree with all that. I think the way to write a good shotgun scenario, or even just one Well, it disagrees. I'm surprised. Yeah, that's why That's why people keep crawling that's back to our show. show yeah. And you, um, <laughs> I think it's... No I think that's a, to support that, by the way. I think that's a great philosophy. However, the way that I would do it is I'd flip that on its head and say, write a regular scenario and just cut all the stuff that's boring. Like you take take a scenario that's that has that's packed full of content and just think, do I really need to say that the police the police officer drives a police car and he's got a shotgun in the in the the rack above the um the little flippy mirror thing that protects his viewers from the, his eyes from the sun? Do I really need to say that you know his badge has uh, three stripes on it indicating that within the rank structure of this department? No. Just say, you know, like Kevin said, one line description. And if you make it lean and mean enough, you can pack a whole bunch of stuff in there and have a scenario that really comes to life and really knocks people's socks off. That was the approach I took with with Big Fat Deep One Wedding, which I did last year, and is one of my best received scenarios of all time, is come up with a lot of concepts that you like and strip each one down until it's about one or two sentences. And so then that way you can fit them all in. And some people I know go overboard with this. There were a couple of scenario submissions this year that were almost unreadable because they had been uh, cut for word count to the point where there was descriptive text that did not that was not readable. So don't overdo it, obviously. But I think that just because you're writing a shotgun scenario doesn't mean you can't just make it just explode with color and life. Yeah, I mean, I think, but I think Deep One Wedding, like the main plot element is there's a bunch of things latched onto it, but there's really only one main through line. Which is what I think what we're trying to I say. I am actually gonna gonna actually you, you may be right about that because when I was writing it, I initially had a very long, overly elaborate descriptive text of how the case officer found the secret of the deep ones, like how he went to talk to the like old the two hundred year old marine at the uh, 
the insane asylum who had been on the Innsmouth raid and, you know, was a Cthulhu cultist and learned about the sea. And I was like, you know what? This is not, this doesn't matter. This is never, the player's never going to see it. So just write something that's more interesting. So yeah, you may be right now that I think about it. The problem with writing stuff that the players are never going to see or interact with is uh, not unique to shotgun scenarios. It's just more pronounced. <laughs> yeah, it's generally a problem in other scenarios as well. But in this case, not you're not only wasting time, you're there's a significant you're opportunity cost. Yourself, yeah. yeah. I think that also raises the question of how linear you want the scenario to be, because that's going to inform where you do want to spend your word count. I certainly don't mind linear shotgun scenarios, says the guy whose favorite scenario is Night Floors. Well, one of the things I remember about um, Terror from the Deep is that it was quite linear. Yes, it, was it, was. A, it was a sequence of interesting things that happen as time progresses. As is the Midnight Sun, as is the God Under the Mountain. I mean, as is Last Things Last, there are a lot of yeah. well-regarded <laughs> shotgun scenarios that are very linear. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So some advice, uh, another piece of advice, which uh, I have most recently not taken, um, is don't be afraid to start, cut out all the briefing and just start where, where it's happening. You know, start with the players, you know, jumping off the helicopter onto the land, onto the beach, start with the players, you know, getting to the, to the door of the cultist compound, like start there. Cause like at the, you know, just the briefing can happen in the past and you can cut a lot of content if you don't have to have a, a elaborate story about how you meet your case officer in a TSA holding, holding area and you're given coffee and secret identities and all this crap. Just skip right past that. Again, I say that as someone who didn't take that advice in my last uh, shotgun. One of the lessons I've learned is that it is better to have too much fun stuff and not enough, and it's better to be bombastic and pulpy than to be cerebral and end up just being dull. The example I use is that I ran the first year I submitted more than one scenario. I submitted Baby on Board, and I submitted uh, what's the other one? Because the beauty of the white ape woman must not perish from this earth. Baby on board was intended to be my main submission. It was a very serious, dark, um, genuine mystery where you have to you have to essentially uh, deduce that that a wizard is trying to double fake you out by getting you to kill a baby and resurrect himself. Whereas the beauty of the white ape woman must not perish from the earth was a joke scenario that was inspired by a conversation we had on this podcast about. Um, like neo-Nazi numerology, and it's a story about a Nazi that kidnaps a mummy from the, Nas- the Museum, American Museum of Natural History in New York because he thinks it'll have uh, elder secrets for him, and then he takes it back to his house, which is full of wacky wizard items, and resurrects it, and it instantly kills him and tries to escape. And that one was much better received. I ran it at Gen Con, and people liked it there, whereas Baby on Board was... Um, it's a scenario where the correct thing to do is nothing, but figuring out that you need to do nothing is the adventure. And it wasn't just wasn't satisfying in the same way. Well, I think shotgun scenarios are, the, are a place where you can get really wacky with things because it's such a short uh, time span. I and mean, if somebody knows they're sitting down to a shotgun style scenario, you know, it, it's all good. They can kind of have a crazy time. So it's a place to stretch your kind of crazy legs and then use those, like get that out of your system, then write your magnum opus serious scenario later. I definitely agree with that. I do think the punchier, more flat. Well, I hesitate to say flashy. I don't mean in a bad way. I mean, in a, I guess I do mean pulpier. Shotgun scenarios in that style do tend to be more memorable, if nothing else. I um, Come to think of it, in fact, uh, I think God Under the Mountain is probably the pulpiest thing I've ever written. Agree, disagree? It's a dungeon crawl. Yeah, it is, isn't it? It's a dungeon crawl with uh, weird monsters and treasure. So what are some other just kind of hints for somebody writing uh, a shotgun scenario? This one... Or one that comes to mind for me, and I guess this is really advice in any kind of scenario writing, but it's more helpful in a shotgun, is, you know, give the person reading it some insight. You know, 
you can say, you know, hey, the you know the the second pl- the place where the body is hidden is the morgue, you know. And then you can make, you can make a note that says, you know, if the players are taking too long, just speed past this part. But if they're t- if they're going too quick, you know, at- embellish with a couple, you know, with somebody dropping off a body for the morgue, you have to kind of deal with. Like, give the handler some tips to run the scenario for like pacing, difficulty, and stuff like that. Yeah, that's a good point. I think it's, I think shotgun scenarios are a good place to remember that it's being written to be played and performed. It's not being written to be read. Tom, what are some shotgun scenarios that you wrote? I have only written, uh, I have only written If Only in My Dreams, which was, I think, two years ago. And that one is fairly linear. It's kind of a race against time. Uh, against some NRO Delta guys to catch up with basically 11 from Stranger Things. And so the way I wrote it is I knew I wanted something that was fairly linear and something fast moving. So I spent most of the words on like different scenes where you would be uh, looking for the kid and where the NRO Delta guys might suddenly show up and butt heads with you. And how did you write that? What was your philosophy? Uh, my philosophy was I just wanted to have an interesting backdrop and there would be like one clue that would get you to the next scene and you would go through four or five scenes, I think, until you caught up with the kid. And depending on how well you did in the previous scenes, the NRO guys would be, they would either be there ahead of you, they would get there right behind you, or you would have some time to get away. It was really just that I wanted to keep the scenario punchy and moving fast. I think that it's a good scenario. I like uh, pretty much every part of it, except the part where in order to initiate the scenario, you have to ignore a direct order from Delta Green. That there's no there's no scenario unless you misbehave, which is fine, except what if the players don't misbehave? Yeah, and I found in running it that this you're correct about that, because the, the start is always the bumpiest part. Uh, I think I would start it a lot sooner like i think uh in future runnings i'm just gonna start it where the players are already outside the house and the kid is just gone and the place is blown up yeah i think that this is uh, maybe what we talked about just now and what we've been talking about this whole time you know start at the fun part start with the crime scene is that is, is advice for regular scenarios too because i've always found that the beginning is the hardest part as they say, as Princess Irulan says in the in our commentaries on the Madib, uh, beginning is a very delicate time, and uh, the solution is to make the first thing that happens either something exciting or something with choices that are interesting and not paralyzing. Yeah, the first scene when I wrote it, I thought it would be like kind of an interesting tense scene as you're trying to negotiate with this NPC, but really it just kind of is turns into an info dump that starts off a little slowly. So it's definitely could use the melon bread philosophy of. Oh, the mel- I mean, melon bread is in trouble because a lot of my scenarios are they don't they don't have such great beginnings. And the problem is that if I start with the players already at the crime scene and doing stuff, it kind of negates the characters that are designed to be more cerebral, like people who want to research stuff because their character is an archaeologist, or characters who want to do bureaucratic maneuvering because they're a program manager. And you know, maybe I could do some Blades in the Dark style, like here you here's a retroactive action. Because I know that's what Jake did when uh, we were playing Into the Odd, and I had a character whose whole thing was that he was he had like a um, an occult library that he owned. Like that was his one perk that he rolled on the random perk table. But because we were in the woods, I couldn't use it. And he was like, well, you would have read it. You would read those books. So you know the stuff inside of them if you make an intelligence save for these things. How do you feel about pre-gens in a shotgun scenario? Love them. 
I I don't I don't think that you should use them unless you're running a scenario that is people are not going to have characters prepared for. So if it uses if it uses an alternate agency or something like that, you should have pregens. And that's the one time I would say put motivations and bonds on there because that allows you to communicate a lot of information about the character. Every Delta Green game I run for my IRL table is one that players aren't going to have characters prepared for. <laughs> Ouch. Because they all died or got arrested? Is that the unspoken? No, because premise? they never make fucking characters. You you hear me, guys. What? I'm fucking talking about you. Will I mean, what? I doubt they listen to the podcast if they can't. I, mean, they don't. I know for a fact they don't. <laughs> Will what? Um, I can talk shit about them and they'll never find out. What pregens do you use for your group? Uh, as a matter of fact, I use some pregens that uh, we prepared uh, for Gen Con that have slick little custom designed uh, character sheets, little little stuff on them. Yeah, we talked about those before. Yeah, yeah. I just, I genuinely wanted to know because, uh, oh, I'm going to go down this road another time. But yeah, I think the pregens for shotgun scenarios are fine as long as they are, as, if it's a scenario that, that is in any situation where the players are not going to have because you don't want to like say like okay we're running a snare today guys everyone create a like national underwater reconnaissance organization diver yeah <laughs> new if the formula the framing if the framing of your scenario is sufficiently different from the usual fare then i would say that's probably a scenario that needs pregens and unless it needs pregens i say give it a pass and pregens don't take up your word count as long as you don't that's, fill them with descriptive text that's correct so just have just have a dude, have skills that are flavorful, have motivations and bonds that imply things about the character, and you're good to go. So let's pretend you're writing a shotgun scenario, and all of a sudden you realize that you're at like a two, three thousand words, you're nowhere near done, you've you've you fucked up, and now you're writing a real scenario. One of the things you can try to do is, like, can you break off a prologue? Can you break off an intro that the players can play to get a feel for the full scenario? Because that could be pretty fun. I mean, like take your full scenario and then cut. All, almost all of it except for the like the first like scene essentially i mean yeah but it cuts the wrong word because you're gonna the full scenario still exists as a full scenario is, but cut is off it the wrong word because if somebody only ever sees the shotgun scenario and never sees the full scenario as far as i know that's all there is yeah but if we go down the road of if people only see the one thing we tell them they see then nothing is real and this whole thing is for nothing Okay, but counterpoint, if we go down the road of everything as a follow-up, everything can lead into everything else, then we have to consider the sum total of human knowledge. So that slippery slope goes either way. Well, I mean, you make it sound like throw away the rest of the scenario, and I'm saying, no, just take the rest of the scenario and make it a non-shotgun scenario and break off the What I'm saying is if if your scenario is not complete, I don't think it should be a scenario you're, you're giving to people because you cannot... You cannot. There's no way to ensure that the only way someone ever picks up your intro scenario is if they also intend to run the rest of it. There's no way to do that. So you have to design it in such a way that it ha- it can be played as a standalone one-off thing. Because if you don't, you're not writing a shotgun scenario. I'm going to suggest a version of Kevin's thing though that um, that doesn't have that problem. Think about the f- go ahead. think about the first episode of God's Teeth that plugs into a much larger myth arc. But it also works completely self-contained, and it was, and it is. I doubt it's. I doubt it's even fifteen hundred words, at least in its original format, because not, as yeah. much as much atmosphere and like genuine cool creepy shit as that scenario has, it's like three firearms rolls with a lot of a lot of NPC interaction around it. It's basically four scenes, yeah. So I think that's an example of what Kevin's talking about, where you can create something that can feed into a larger adventure, but is itself. And that's how a lot of the old Delta Green stuff was designed. Not so much that it was like super compact, but like Dead Letter is designed to be the start of a of the war against the Karatekia 
and the various ones with Amigo are designed to kick off fights with the Majestic 12. Yeah, I mean, I'm just trying to say if you're writing and you get in the groove and you realize that you've written a full scenario, don't be discouraged. Just, you know, turn that turn that into gold. Yeah, after a certain point, you don't have to worry about cutting stuff. If you realize that you've got I think I think one of the reasons maybe that that will that what Will's saying is 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 applicable is that um to my knowledge, you're not supposed to just upload your own scenarios to Fairfield. People are going to read Fairfield and they're not necessarily going to read your blog or whatever. So there's definitely a bias towards putting stuff in the format where people can see it because there's two there's two things that fairfield does fairfield is shotgun scenarios and it's archives of old ice cave discussions so i think that's why people feel that they have to uh, might feel that they have to do all their stuff in that format kevin what did you think about the pregens question pretty much along the same lines i think if you're going to include them there needs to be a reason like you're playing a alternate timeline game or an old history game but players won't have characters um the other kind of in between ground is if you say you have a lot of clues that are like archaeological heavy you might want to include one archaeologist pre-gen and say hey if your characters are all gun bunnies consider having one of them play this guy for this scenario yeah That's you like can have any any anytime you have like a mandatory npc like an npc that has to be with the players you should always think about and this is not just shotgun snows for in general you should always thinking about saying does anyone want to play this this guy and give them some reason to want to do that like either they have a fun they have a fun you know, skill, or they have a trait that makes them enjoyable to play as. Because my my advice is always make the pregens good, because there's nothing that's more frustrating than getting saddled with a character that just isn't isn't able to do anything. Yep. Also, one of the fun things about pregens is you can drive them like you stole them. You don't really have to act like they're going to last beyond this game. I I can't do that though, because any pregen that I like enough to play as, I like enough to protect. Because like you, you guys noticed, you guys know this. When we played Last Revelation, I immediately stopped caring about my meta character and invested fully in uh, Helen Howell, the like biologist, because she was the coolest. And um, I'm like, I mean, I'm like that with all my agents. I want them to succeed and survive. And if I discover, if I realize that I like them too much, then I stop playing as them because I don't want them to die. Which I understand is counter to the way the game is supposed to work, but the benefit of um, having like lots of characters that I make is that I can switch to the next one. What if you're writing a shotgun scenario, and again, you're holding yourself to the 1,500 word limit, and you, and you think you're done, but you're at like 1,200 words? Should you try to add more and flush it up to 1,500, or are you good to stop there? One thing that is, is always nice for word count is rather than putting content in, put explanatory text that explains a ph- the philosophy of a certain design element. You don't have to put in lots of elaborate pontification, but you can say, here's what the intent is. Because otherwise, it's very it can sometimes be very difficult to understand why certain design decisions are made and how the handler should respond. I would agree with that. I would say if you're, in general, if you're under the word count, uh, congratulations. <laughs> I would not add anything more. Yeah. I, think I, I think I ran into that actually with uh, If Only My Dreams. I forget what the final word count is, but it was under 1,500. And I was thinking, I don't really know what to add here. That would really just be cruft. Or wouldn't be cruft, excuse me. I don't think I've ever had a shotgun scenario be under the word count. I've always, I've always approached it as a shotgun scenario is done when I literally can't cut anything else. I think Big Stick was significantly under word count even after um, adding lots of over-elaborate descriptive text. That was one that I almost didn't submit, but I was thinking about it, and I've had cases in the past where I've had scenarios that I didn't really enjoy running that much, but then I've had players come back and ask me to finish writing them up because they really enjoyed it. And so I thought about maybe this is something that other people will like a lot, even if I don't like it so much. 
it wasn't. I didn't think it was that bad. I just thought it was kind of underwhelming. That um, like for I'm I'm always talking about how things should be packed with so many gameplay elements, and that's one that could have used more descriptive text because I don't think I gave enough uh, description of how the memory loss should work because that's the most important part of the scenario, and it's only like a paragraph. I don't know. Much like a shotgun scenario, perhaps this segment is concise and to the point. Anyone else have any final uh, parting shots? Does anyone think there's places you can't go in a shotgun scenario or just too wacky to really do justice? Well, what example hmm. do you have in mind? Um, well, for instance, there's a shotgun scenario this year that is essentially a three-way PvP scenario. And I think it sounds really fun, but it's very different from what you typically get. Yeah, and we, we talked about that one a little bit. Just that, that one's fine as long as you let the players know up front what they're getting into. I would say anything... Anything you can do in a regular scenario, you could do in a shotgun. Um, I would say there's certainly things that you can do in a shotgun you couldn't do in a regular scenario, but I wouldn't think there's much. I don't know, I'm trying to find a way to say, like, I wouldn't want to write a shotgun scenario contest that was, like, a, about raising llamas on a llama farm because it's just, there's nothing to do with the content. In, in oh, man, I wish Jake was here so we could talk about goat raising. So, like, as long as it fits goat the content, raising? then I think you're fine. Jake wrote a scenario, an entire scenario where you spent the whole time uh, raising a goat, and then at the end you had sex with a corpse. I remember that, and and somehow I'm labeled as a degenerate. Just, let's just well, no, Kevin, you're labeled as the one who is very unsupportive of the project, if I remember correctly. I'm bad in playing it, so no, it's not about being, it's not about playing it. It's it's like they kept you kept saying like, why doesn't anyone ever do an extended campaign? And it was like, hey, I got an extended campaign right here, and he wasn't ta- he wasn't pointing at his dick. He was pointing at a scenario, and he said, I'm not interested in that. No, thank you. And um, oh, part of that nonsense. Yeah, well, that's a we don't have time to get into that. Right, it's a shotgun episode. Our 1500 words is up. Boom. Oh, I was going to bring up another example. Please do. I was also thinking, I forget the title of it, but there was one from last year that we had divided opinions on, which was all the players start with amnesia and they get character sheets, but they, I think they swap parts of the character sheet or no, they create characters and then the character sheets are randomly split between the players. So you don't end up with the character you created. I like that one. I think that the one flaw is that I thought the message at the beginning was ne- was needlessly antagonistic, but I guess it doesn't really matter. I think that one is a good one. I like the bird things in that one. It was cool. Anyone else have any strong opinions on that one? We talked in a previous segment about scenarios that are ripped from the headlines. I think shotgun scenarios are a good way to do those because taking a weird news story and turning it into a, sh- into a scenario often ends up with a kind of a one-note linear thing one trick pony kind of kind of investigation which as i previously stated i think that's the way you should do shotgun scenarios anyway so that's one approach uh in fact it is the approach the approach that i used for uh for the god under the mountain and for the terror from the deep and for terror from the deep yes it's difficult to say how torn from the headlines they can actually be because it can be stuff that happened from the year i guess or it can be stuff that's happening in the month of december yeah uh, what I did for either of those is it was something that happened earlier in the year that I earmarked for a shotgun scenario and then came back to it and went, all right, how can I turn this into a scenario? Oh, I have a question. In your in your guys' opinion, how far – this? there's no rule about this, but I want to know what you guys consider to be sporting or unsporting. Uh, how far out is it appropriate to write your scenario from the contest? Is it appropriate to write your scenario before the contest begins? I – I would have written mine before the contest began. I I just never got around to it. I say no. It flies in the spirit of the contest. I mean, it's not it's not illegal. You're not gonna go to jail. It's just it's wrong. Yeah, I agree with Kevin. I don't think it's like I would say it's unsporting, but I don't think it's like I wouldn't disqualify my vote uh, from a scenario that did that. I say that given the schedules most people operate on, I don't have a problem with it. 
because I understand that I, most people are rarely going to get or do not get that many chances to play the game. And so if they want to play test their thing and then work on it again, they have to, they might have to start earlier than than the uh, the start date. Especially if you want to submit like four or five, six, seven, or eight. There's only one person on the planet who has that desire, and he he what? like like George Spider. He is an outlier. I tend to agree with Max on this. Uh, I think the shotgun scenario is about writing a scenario in on 1,500 words or less. I don't think it's about writing a scenario in 30 days or less. Uh, I actually ran a contest that was like that. 90 days. Whatever, 90 days. <laughs> 30 days, 90 days. Time is relative anyway. Uh, if, if, I, if I were to come down on something that I thought was against the spirit of the contest, I would say, honestly, playtesting is. Because the contest, the submissions are supposed to be anonymous. That's an interesting one. I think that playtesting usually is anonymous, except when it's done in a like an internet community. I think that's a good point because I would agree contest, with this, Yeah, yeah, the contest came about at a time before like online play was as common as it is now. So it's a lot harder to maintain that sense of anonymity when maybe everybody, or at least most of the participants, primarily have their play groups online. Well, the other thing is that. Uh, I have gotten so many on the on the board this year that I don't think I've had a single person correctly guess all of mine yet. And sometimes you co-write them, so it's even harder to see your fingerprints on them. Oh, that's a good one. What do you guys think about co-submissions? Because that's been going on for a lot longer than we've been writing scenario entries. Like, some of the earliest contests had co-written entries. I don't have a problem with, with co-written entries, entries um, provided you know they're credited appropriately, which they all almost always are, as far as I know. Will, what about entries that link to content that you've written as an example of how to create characters? Um, Actually, no. Um, what if they link to a document that I wrote that's a knockoff of a document that you wrote? Oh, that's funny, is what that is. Um, I think it's interesting how much use people are getting out of that, considering that it's not that hard to just reimagine how to make characters. Yeah, I'm honestly surprised that it was the, that the author felt it necessary to do that at all. Like a, it, it might, it's most it, it's most likely because they saw me do it at some point or saw someone else do it for like you know how do I do this in in like 1930s Cthulhu or Delta Green or whatever or World War II. All it is is just some professions that have like some of the skills changed around. That's it. And it, it's a new descriptive text. Yeah, like special operators now commando and um, intelligence case officer now describes what intelligence agencies you could work for in the 1930s and 40s. I would say you probably should avoid linking to material written by yourself or other people in the shotgun scenario, if at all possible. And if you absolutely have to do it, then you probably should credit them. How do we feel about images? Because Bestow is one of my favorite shotgun scenarios ever written by Ross Payton. I think it's definitely the best one that I've seen of his, uh, maybe one of the best oh, ones ever. And it puts, I would say Bestow an uses an image. I'd say it uses a map. I would distinguish between maps and images. Yeah, I think maps are fine. Images, I'm not sure. I think you're getting outside the territory. I think that scenario would be unplayable without the map. Yeah, yeah sure. I, I agree. You need the map to explain the layout of the hypercube. I mean, I think there's also a big difference between, at least to me... That's actually a good example of a scenario that picks one element and laser focuses on it, because the scenario is the hypercube. Yeah, yeah that's exactly. a, that's that one's also a dungeon crawl, but it's like a... Uh, and it's a dungeon crawl that you could transplant into any game, which is what yeah. I like about it. And in fact, we have. Yeah. yeah, I ran into Star Wars. Yeah, that's right, you did. Oh. I actually think it would be kind of cool because you know like some people don't like um you know fifth edition whatever for being like an intricate tactical combat game or like you know pathfinder or whatever i think it would be kind of cool to do like a a grid combat in that in a hypercube yeah um i actually had an idea for this uh, in a pathfinder game that i was running where uh, i would have a combat map that would like all the spaces would be like five feet 
like normal, except the spaces would not be all the same physical size on the map. So you'd have one five foot space that was like the entire outer border of the map, for instance. And you'd have like one, like a bunch that were like bigger or smaller than each other. So you would have the effect would be sort of of uh, distorting of 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 local space time. Oh, so the the outer border is like an electron energy shell where you occupy all the physical space simultaneously and not simultaneously at the same time. Yeah, that or the map wraps around itself. Yeah, yeah, like Pac-Man. Yeah, Pacu Pacuman. In fact, the map for diplomacy, the classic game of politics and warfare and betrayal and ending friendships, is designed in such a way that uh, the this the territories that you move through are arranged in such a way that it takes the same amount of time to go from one edge to the other as it does to go completely around the map. Uh, Zomner was talking about how the Dune board game has a real problem where um, some of, I think it was Zomner, was talking about how the Dune board game has a real problem where some of the, it, the movement on the, on the board is done via um, territories, but some of the territories are gigantic and connect to like six, and some of them are tiny and connect to like two. And you'd think it would be, you think, oh, maybe it's reflective of, like, this area is flat, so it's easier to move through. No, it's just fucking whatever, like, Avalon Hill, whatever they blob they drew on the map. Fuck Space and Guild's fault. I mean, yeah, the cartographers really fucked the dog on that one. I mean, you'd make sense. They were taking spice bribes from the fucking Fremen to falsify the maps. I mean, yeah, that's that's a good point, actually. Maybe the game map itself is inaccurate. That's why, yeah, it's, but, that's why they're all different well, sizes. Well, Zomner was saying that the advanced versions of the rules is all, um, like, has all the good shit in it, but also all the shit that makes no sense. And maybe, maybe the fucked up map is part of the advanced rules. With Fremen know the real glo- the real shape of the globe. I think we've uh, I think we've strayed sufficiently off topic that unless we have anything else to add, we can uh, wrap up. Let's uh, let's murder this tangent at Kevin's request. Uh, much like Leto Atreides, the Elder was murdered in his crib. What episode of Game of Thrones was that? <laughs>